As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. After weeks that have turned into months of dealing with this global crisis that has upended our society, economy, and daily life as we know it, as parents, we're exhausted. We're feeling the tedium that comes with teaching and the zaps of energy with every Zoom call. It's certainly mind over matter, and for the majority of us, we're lucky to be healthy and safe at home. But still, with the entire family at home all the time, conflicts arise. As seen on ABC News, according to several matrimonial attorneys, a wave of divorce filings is expected to break across the country when COVID-19 confinement ends. Access to courts is limited for the time being, and Chicago family law attorney Robert Siegel says, we're living in a polarized society, and that extends to the home. People are less willing to compromise, less willing to work things out. My guest, Eve Rodsky, is a New York Times bestselling author and is an expert on the philosophy around who's doing the homework and how we can effectively get our homes to work. How should a couple split up responsibilities? How do we prevent burnout? How do we keep the peace? And how do we keep our kids happy, healthy, and taken care of? We're going to tackle all of this and more on today's episode. Eve Rodsky is working to change society one marriage at a time by coming up with a new 21st century solution to an age-old problem, women shouldering the brunt of childbearing and domestic life responsibilities, regardless of whether they work outside the home. In her book, Fair Play, a game-changing solution for when you have too much to do and more life to live, she uses her Harvard Law School training and years of organizational management experience to create a life management system to help couples both rebalance all of the work it takes to run a home and reimagine their relationship, time, and purpose. Eve received her bachelor's degree in economics and anthropology from the University of Michigan and her JD from Harvard Law School. After working in foundation management at JP Morgan, she founded the Philanthropy Advisory Group to advise high net worth families and charitable foundations on best practices for harmonious operations, governance, and disposition of funds. In her work with hundreds of families over a decade, she realized that her expertise is in family mediation, strategy, and organizational management, and it could be applied to a problem closer to home, a system for couples seeking balance, efficiency, and peace in their home. Rodsky was born and raised by a single mom in New York City and now lives in LA with her husband, Seth, and their three children, Zach, Ben, and Anna. Eve, welcome, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. I'm so happy to be here, Kanika. You have a very important voice and a very calming voice, so I'm happy to talk to you today. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I want to just start by saying that Eve is such a gracious and kind person. We've been emailing, we've done a dry run of this. <laughs> we've been texting back and forth and you've been most we're friends now. Yeah, Exactly. We're friends now. Exactly. We've become fast friends and it's amazing how, you know, through this crisis, those we've connected with virtually, we understand them on a deeper level, like right off the because bat. I think, how are you? Used to be great, right? Now, when people are asking you that, a lot of people are more willing to give real answers. So that's yes. that's the silver lining. Exactly, exactly. I I'm so excited to just do a deep dive into this because you know, as parents, we need you more than ever now. You were raised by a single super mom. Mm-hmm. You know what? was that experience like for you? I was raised by a single mother my entire life, literally starting at seven years old when I could understand the struggles of my mother to get eviction notices under our door, to get utility bills. She didn't understand the difference between regular utility bills and late utility bills. So they called me a parental child. I guess that's what I'd be called. Living with a single mother and watching her try to handle everything, including my brother who had disabilities that she didn't even know, right? Until... I had an intervention with her at 12 years old to tell her my brother couldn't read, but he was being passed by our public school just because that's what they did. And so I had vowed that this would not be my life, that I would have an equal partner in life. And I think that's really important to understand because it is unsustainable to think that women's unpaid labor can handle all these things. It is unsustainable to think that women can be in the workforce and be homeschoolers and be the ones who handle all the laundry and the groceries and the dishes and the emotional labor for our kids and the middle of the night comfort. It's unsustainable. We have to bring men to the table um, because this is unsustainable. And we know that because single mothers are the ones that are hurt the most. Their motherhood penalty affects them. Uh, their wages go down. Um, we have no societal support in America for them. My mother said to me that the one saving grace for her was that the New York City public schools never closed. Never in 18 years. And she said if she was going through what was happening now when she had us, be able mentally to have the fortitude to get through this. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Do you feel that you know, the divorces that are coming up are actually resolvable and partners can work this out. And it's just because we have this cabin fever that we're making, you know, hasty decisions. That's a great question. No one's ever asked it to me like that, but I think it's an important question. A lot of the advice I give to new mothers as well is don't make any decisions in the first year of your child's life. Um, I wouldn't make any decisions, any long-term decisions right now when emotion is high and cognition is low. I think that we can be um, setting those systems and expectations for what we want for the long-term, but at making any decisions right now over the strength of your partnership is not really the right time probably to be making those decisions. Um, that doesn't mean you can't be strengthening it day by day. And I think that's the beauty of fair play or what these couples who are playing with me and, you know, thousands of couples are telling me is that what we talk about in the book, what fair play talks about is a practice of communication. How do you practice communication with your partner so that you can set up expectations? The opposite of disappointment, I say, as a mediator is expectations. When my expectations are met, I feel good. I feel mentally recharged. Um, I love my partner more. When he says he's going to take out the garbage and the garbage is, take, is taken out, um, that is my love language. It is the acts of service, being able to rely on your partner as a teammate, 
um, is really the core of fair play. So what I would say to couples right now is that, yes, some people are at resentometer number 10. And then nothing's going to work. Um, a system, right? You know, you can say all you want. Uh, I want you to own laundry. You can talk about it. But if you're at resentometer 10 and you're a couple not used to speaking to each other and you have severe communication vulnerabilities, that may not be able to bridge, be bridged. But I do think that there are some very small, very small communication tools we can give your listeners that can help them restart um, on a new path, even starting today. Yes. Tell us how Fair Play actually is like a deck of cards. Yes. So Fair Play is a system and I love mediation tools. I love communication tools. I'm a mediator by trade. As you said in your introduction, I work with high net worth families that look like the HBO show Succession. Yes, you should feel bad (laughs) for me. But what I do for those couples and those families is I bring generations together around tables, generations of family members that were not communicating before are now communicating with grace and humor and generosity over the most complex organizational and financial decisions. And the way we do that is through values-based mediation, which is a, a new way to communicate. So what I say by that is the, the steps for communication are really, really very simple, but they start with understanding that we're already communicating about domestic life. I think the hardest thing is when people say to me, um, a women especially, I can't communicate with my partner about domestic life. It's too triggering. So one woman says that to me, and then I find out 20 minutes later in our conversation that she uh, dumps wet clothes on her husband's pillow when he forgets to take them out of the washer. A woman I reached out to in this COVID time, she said she's not communicating directly with her partner about domestic life, back to maybe those brink of divorced couples. But then she posts in a 27,000 member uh, Facebook group called The Reason I Hate My Husband, that if COVID is going to take her husband, it's not because of the disease. So she's telling me she's not communicating directly with him, but she's willing to publicly threaten murder on a 27,000 work Facebook group. So right, what I want right. to say to everybody out there, your listeners, is that we are, are already communicating about domestic life. We are already communicating. So I'm asking, all Fair Play asks of your listeners is to think about a communication shift, not a start. And I think when people think of it as a shift, it's a little bit easier to say to your partner, you know, we have been communicating already. Every time that I scream at you, when I curse at you, when I slam those doors at you, when I've been dumping wet clothes in your pillow, um, when I'm crying to myself at night, we're communicating. It just may not be the most effective way for you to hear me. And you have some house rules. And I feel like they definitely, when you abide by them, allow for a more constructive way to get through your issues. And so I want to just go through those now. Rule one is all time is created equal. Rule two, reclaim your right to be interesting. Rule three, start where you are now. And rule four, establish your values and standards. So if you can kind of touch on, you know, these rules and how they can help us. Rule one, all time is created equal. So why are women doing two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family? And why is that stress manifesting itself in the small details, creating the biggest problems? So the core finding of fair play was this idea that we treat as a society, we hold men's time as precious as diamonds. We treat men's time um, as finite and we, we treat women's time as infinite like sand. 
So when you have a time discrepancy where half the population's time is being treated as diamonds and half the population's time is being treated as sand, things go wrong. We know that women's time is not equally valued to men's time in the workplace because we're not paid the same as men. And if you're a woman of color, it's even worse in terms of um, what your pay looks like compared to a man for the same job. The crazy part, though, for me, Kanika, was that it was happening in the home and that women were the biggest garter of men's time. So women all over this country, regardless of socioeconomic status and ethnicity, were saying things to me like, well, my husband makes more money than me. So of course, I'm the one homeschooling our kids. Well, that's a terrible argument because I chose philanthropy. My husband chose private equity. So does that mean I'm I'm tasked with invisible work the rest of my life because I, I'm paid less? Other women said to me, well, the reason why I do this is because I'm just a better multitasker. I'm wired differently. My husband is better at focusing on one thing at a time. I went to the top neuroscientists in this country that I fund, are my clients fund, so I get access to these beautiful, amazing researchers. And this really old white man in a white lab coat said to me, um, when I asked him, are women wired differently? Do we have better executive function than men? Are we better multitaskers? Because I've seen certain articles that said that. He just looked at me and said, no, of course, <laughs> no. <laughs> but but he said it, he said, imagine Eve, we can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. That only benefits my half the population. And so it, that was another day. It was probably the only other day in all of the fair play journey where I sobbed. I actually started started crying in his office for all the, the shit I'd been feeding myself about me being wired differently for so that was one. And then the, finally, most women were saying to me things like, and the time it takes me to tell him what to do, these are hetero cisgender, you know, conversations, those, and the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. So I went to my very close friend, Dan Ariely, one of the top behavioral economists in the country. He has a column in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and he said to me, that's a terrible argument for women. Of course, it makes sense to tell somebody how to wipe asses and do dishes so that you're not doing it for the rest of your life, compromising all of your precious time. So I think right now when the space-time continuum is collapsing on us, what I want to say to your listeners out there is that we have to reframe all these toxic time messages we give ourselves to really believe that our time is equal to our partner's time. And especially in these hetero cisgender relationships where women guard men's time. My time is just as valuable as your time because I get, I have 24 hours in a day just like you do. And the expectation that I will be wiping those asses and doing dishes in that time while you get four hours to watch sports center and work out is unfair. It's a fundamental unfairness that's going to breed resentment and will lead to those divorces over time. So reclaiming our time and, and by women themselves saying to themselves first that all time is created equal, my time is just as valuable as my partner's time, is really the fundamental rule of fair play. And no, no system is going to change unless we value our time equally to men's time. So rule two comes from this idea that back to time. The last use of women's time right now, especially during a pandemic, is for themselves. Creating those boundaries for ourselves are key to our mental health. They're key to our physical health. But when there was a pen stabbing me in the vagina, that was not a time I wanted people to be saying to me, find your passion and purpose. But what I want to say to women is that invest in your curiosity. Invest in the active pursuit of what makes you you, even if it's five or ten minutes a day. Because it allows you to be unavailable. So instead of saying to your partner, just get the fuck out of my face, which is probably how <laughs> I would have done it before fair play. What I say now is my time from four to five is guarded. Um, doesn't matter if it's paid. 
it is guarded because I'm writing my second book and I want it to read. I have to read three articles and that time is diamonds and I can't have anybody interrupt me during that time. So I, I'm asking you to help me protect that time. So we don't ask for that. We're not asking for what we need often. And so one woman said to me that she was on the brink of divorce with her partner. And when they finally went to couples therapy, she said, I just need space back. And I'm envious of all my divorce friends who get every other weekend off. And so then her partner said to her, that's, that's why you want to leave this marriage because you want every other weekend off, then ask, take every other weekend yes, off. Yes, yeah. Um, why have you never said that to me in all of these years? And you're just letting this build up and build up. So um, almost it's easier to boil over to a breaking point than it is to ask for what we need now. So that's rule two. And then rule three and four is this idea that you start where you are now. 50-50, I fundamentally believe, is the wrong equation. Um, I don't even know what that means because that leads to scorekeeping. What start where you are now means is that just start where you are now. If you're not a great communicator about these things, if you're not someone who brings your partner to the table often, um, practice of the communication in your home, then just start where you are now. It may not mean that everything will be perfect uh, next week or even the week after, but coming to the table to start communicating as a practice the same way you would meditation, the same way you would exercise is very, very, very valuable. And But that, that actually means understanding that you are already communicating. So I'm going to give you the top seven vulnerabilities that I found as a mediator were very, very popular. And I'm wondering what you think Sunil would say about you. So it's a newlywed game reverse. So what would Sunil say about you? Okay. One, long-winded, wah, 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 you're talking and no one's listening. Two, sharp command, sir, your tone and drill sergeant delivery isn't popular with the troops. Three, bad timing, you drop your grievances and requests for help into the conversation at inopportune moments. Thanks so much for the beautiful flowers, honey, but you forgot dishwashing detergent. Four, toxic word choice. I wasn't going to say anything, but I really hate it when you dot, dot, dot. Five, all or nothing. You never replace the toilet paper roll. You always leave the seat up. Six, dredging up the past. This is just like the last time you forgot to dot, dot, dot. Or seven, boiling over. I wasn't going to say anything. I avoided our conversation. I didn't say anything, but now I'm really pissed. So I'll just go over them again. We have long-winded, sharp commands. That's tone, bad timing, toxic word choice, all or nothing, dredging up the past or boiling over. If you can think about maybe one of your last interactions that may have been yeah. a little bit, what would Sunil say about you? Okay. First of all, I'm guilty as charged for all of the above <laughs> <laughs> at some point in time. But I mean, I would say, you know, I default to being long-winded. I tend to like ramble on and on and not let things go. Um, even if it could be like, you know, like slight air and judgment, I just rail into <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I re I recognize that in myself and so many people too. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And it's nice to be able to acknowledge, you know, like we can laugh at it. And, and when you realize that like, oh my God, I'm doing that. You know, the fact that you've named each one, now I'm going to catch myself and stop short when I start doing it. Seth and I, we are in a fair play practice of communicating. We have a nightly check-in, but because Seth will say to me, I can't hear you for more than 10 minutes. Um, we set a timer. Mm -hmm. We actually set a timer. And so many couples who are playing tell me that that timer system is working for them. 
mm-hmm. where they sit in front of each other and say, we will start our uh, Netflix show or drink our tequila or eat our cookie dough um, right <laughs> after this or while we're doing this, but we have 10 minutes. Doesn't mean we're going to tackle everything, but what's been really hard for me. So I know, for example, um, Seth and I had a check-in recently where he said to me, you say you want a minimum standard of care. That's part of fair play. Our minimum standard of care for homeschooling our kids is that for the time that you are with them, you're off your phone. So the way we've been doing it is I have the mornings and Seth has the afternoons right now. And so we own it, right? We're not asking each other for reminders, but we just own that time. I've been feeding them breakfast. He, Seth is in charge of lunch and that's been working well for us. But what he's noticed the past few days was that I was on my phone and taking calls during times when I'm supposed to be uh, working with Ben or at least supervising him. And Seth was saying to me, I am keeping my phone charged in our room and I'm really trying to be present for our kids. So am I also allowed to be on my phone? Yeah. <laughs> uh, gonna just go rogue this week and not have them do any work or whatever they do, they do. Or right. are we trying to supervise them? But I do want to get on the same page because it's feeling unfair to me. That yeah. I'm, I'm focusing on our kids and teaching Ben to ride a bike and going out and really focusing where you're just sort of giving a thumbs up from afar yeah. on all these <laughs> muted work calls. Right, and that's right. it. That, that took 10 minutes. And so we were done. Okay, we have more things to talk about. We'll do that tomorrow. I will agree my phone is away when I have the kids. That's the practice, right? Because one woman said to me the beauty of setting the nightly check-in for her or knowing her vulnerability was her partner is number seven. So he's avoidant and she's long-winded. So what Mm -hmm. was happening was because he's so avoidant, she said, it made her more long-winded because she said he avoids conversation. So I feel like I have to get everything out because we're never going to talk again for another year. So how great if you just keep making the practice 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And the workplace, they're doing a lot of work on communicating with the managers right now. And this idea of intentional small bursts of communication um, is actually proving very uh, effective in the workplace, where instead of doing this long review at the end of the year, you know, you do these sort of short bursts of intentional communication, and it's actually helping a lot of sort of employees and managers handle issues more in real time. Yes, that makes so much sense because even if you're not long-winded, sometimes these conflicts just fester. Get it out when you have your check-in and be done with it and move on with life. And then that's it. That gets on to rule four, which is Mm -hmm. how do you come to the table um, if you're hearing this and saying, I do want to come to the table, but I don't even know if my partner would be willing to come to the table right now. What you do is you start with your why. So again, as a mediator, you know, I'm used to facilitating with a lot of psychologists. A lot of psychologists will say, start with I statements. The problem with me is I have a tone issue. So if I start with I statements, it'll be like, I fucking hate you. Um, (laughs) I need you to get out of my face, right? So I'm not really, I don't understand I statements as much. But what I do understand as a mediator is your why. So when you can start with your why, if it is something as simple as garbage, which is my first why with Seth was sitting down with him over the garbage card and the fair play system where Seth understood the idea of the game, of understanding that fair play is about ownership, that if he's holding the garbage card, that means putting the liner back in, getting the the bins out before trash day. But what was happening to me was I was still following him. I was still his garbage shadow where I was all over the room just (laughs) staring at him, um, (laughs) opening the, the, the sink the door under the sink, you know, so that he would fall over it and maybe find the liner in there. And 
Seth said, this is not working for me because I see you stalking me over garbage. I'm feeling your attention. And so that's where you back up into your why. So I said to him, you don't know this about me, even though we've been living together for a decade, but I didn't have a garbage can growing up. My mother had just a takeout bag on a knob and we would fill it and things would spill on the floor. And we had this giant cockroach and water bug problem. And even my Rice Krispies had meal bugs in them that she would try to pretend were rice uh, cocoa Krispies, but I knew they were bugs. And so Seth, when I see a a banana peel. Um, I'm seven again. You know, I'm putting yeah, myself like to bed. PTSD. I'm dealing with my disabled. Yeah, dealing with my disabled brother, and and I can't live like that. Uh, I can't be seven again. And then Seth was able to say to me, "Look, I grew up with a housekeeper. Like I've never really even thought about garbage. And um, I slept on Domino's pizza boxes in my fraternity. It's just not something I care about. But what happens, right, when you're so divergent over something that has to get done every day? Well, I think that's the thirty percent of divorces." Uh, that we see over the unfairness in domestic life. It's because these small things become big issues. But when you can sort of just make it about garbage and not about, well, you grew up in a privileged household and I hate you because you're spoiled. And it actually becomes, well, what's our minimum standard of care? I still want you to own garbage. And Seth said to me, I'm happy to own it because it matters if something matters to you, but I'm not going to take it out every hour, um, especially not on the weekends. So what's going to have to happen is that garbage is going to pile up, but I will take it out once a day. It'll go out after my work is done. I'll put it in my calendar like a work appointment. But you can't mention right. garbage can't ever again and start the, talking yeah, exactly. me. And so I stepped off. And then the beauty of it was like Moses parting the Red Sea or like Jesus walking on water. Garbage started going out. And it went out reliably with trust and accountability. And that's all fair play. It's a way to have a mediation, a communication tool so that each card you can zero in on your why. And then these conversations allow you not to keep wiping those asses and doing dishes for the rest of your life. You're investing in, in your communication like you're investing in toilet paper. Those 20-minute conversations can lead to really a lifetime of rewards if you're willing to invest in it like a practice the same way of exercise or, mm -hmm, or meditation. Absolutely. And it really does restore the peace in the home. I wanted to just, you know, give a shout out to Sunil and give him some props because he's a really, really hands-on dad. And he's someone that I don't have to just, you know, micromanager, watch over. As an example, best diaper changer ever. <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, the little love, frills, like always takes it out, never a blowout when Sunil's doing diapers. So, and he's happy to do them. Yeah. Love it. So love it. what about someone like that? You know, you're, you're married to a, a man who is doing everything right, but we still have our squabbles, you know, so how do we? Yeah, well, uh, you know what? Again, it's, it's about the practice. So even if you have the most willing partners, if you're not going to actually align on your expectations, there will still be problems. That's what it comes down to. If you're not going to work out for a year, you're not going to be able to run the marathon. Even if you did one one last year, sadly, conditioning practice makes perfect. And so the idea that communication as a practice can really help us all. It's about efficiency in the home. It's about creating those expectations. So Seth and I, literally, we suffer if we're not doing mm -hmm. a nightly check-in. That's yeah. what we realize. Even though we've been playing fair play forever, it is inherent in our children to understand start to finish. Seth knows his cards inherently. I know mine. We, we deal watching, but we really own our, our stuff. We suffer if we don't check in the night before. Yes, yes. Being holed up at home is affecting our mental health. And I love that you say we should burn guilt and shame. So tell us about that. Thank you for bringing that up. I think guilt and shame is something that's been with us as women um, since we were born. Actually, back to that neuroscientist who said to me that 
imagine we can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. He also said to me that if you don't convince them that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes, then guilt and shame will. These are all effective tools to get women to do $10.8 trillion of unpaid labor a year. And it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. So one of the things that we can do besides own our communication vulnerabilities is to recognize that guilt and shame probably did have an important role at some point in our lives. I'm sure that guilt or shame is the reason that I studied really hard. Um, I was afraid or felt guilty if I wasn't going to, you know, achieve to a certain level. Um, a lot of parents probably do that to their children. They make them feel guilty if they're not uh, logging in for the fifth hour of violin. <laughs> yeah. But but as women now, especially after kids, we just don't need those emotions. And so what I actually did before I went on my book tour, where Seth, my husband, my was now somebody who could own all the cards and was doing it even better than I was. Part of my own process in going on a book tour for five months when I was handing over all the domestic labor to my husband was to take a piece of Anna's origami paper. It was sort of a little piece piece of paper. I wrote guilt and shame and a silver Sharpie on it. I folded it up into a little square and I set it on fire. And I spoke to this burning piece of paper. I would not caution you to do this in a small apartment (laughs) in New York City, which is where where, um, I grew up. I probably would have burned my house down. I did this outside on our our lawn. I watched it burn and I talked to guilt and shame and I said, you know what? I'm about to embark on five months where my husband is now the primary caregiver of my kids. I am sure that it will feel really weird to me and hard, but um, I can feel sad, but I'm not going to feel guilt and shame. Thank you. You've been very important in my life, but I'm now willing to let you go. So understanding that sadness is different than guilt and shame and that sadness is a fine feeling. Guilt may be even okay feeling, but shame is a terrible feeling, especially now. There's no shame. We are not working from home um, in a crisis trying to negotiate everyday life, right? So we just have to reframe what's going on. Um, no one is freaking perfect. We're all having hard days and that's just what grief yeah. feels like. Yeah, it's true. Can you tell us about a moment in time where you trusted your mom's sense? That's such a good question. I'd say that I trusted my mom's sense when I pulled over to that side of the road to cry over blueberries. And when I realized that day that I wasn't, I can't live like this anymore, that something was wrong, that this it's on me attitude, the having it all means doing it all attitude was, it wasn't working for me. It was, it was killing my soul. I was becoming a gray and uh, sort of dull version of who I knew I was um, inside. And so I think trusting our gut, pushing back, recognizing that we can be a game changer in our own lives and that will reverberate out into society. That's what I want people to remember, that we have permission to be interested in our own lives and trust your gut. If you're not feeling fulfilled, if something feels like the sort of that the gray version of what your vibrant version used to be, then trust yourself to know that it doesn't have to be like that. And you can be a game changer. Or as Nora Ephron, my favorite feminist says, you can either be the victim of your own life or the heroine. Yes, I love that quote. It's now time for Mom Hall, when we share products we love. Is there a product that you're loving that you're just like, I need to share this with everybody? I've been loving books, living in other people's worlds right now have been really been really wonderful for me. Um, I just finished a book um, a couple days ago called Miracle Creek. And what I loved about it was it was this beautiful um, mother, daughter, father, immigrant experience that's also mixed with a thriller and a murder. And it was a beautiful exposition over uh, what it looks like to be a mother 
and all the sacrifices we make for our kids. So I've just been reading about different parental relationships, other relationships, more dysfunctional relationships to make myself feel better. So I'd say that I've been investing in in books right now as my sort of my self-care. And I'd say those are those are my my best products. Anything I can download on Kindle. The other thing I think is a great product is the Coursera. There's a free Coursera, Lori Santos. She teaches a free course on happiness. Even if you can sign up for 10 minutes a day, she has a beautiful course. It's wonderful to do higher learning, especially from a professor. It feels fun to be in a class again. So that's another thing I signed up to do. So that product has been amazing. Coursera's free class, Lori Santos's uh, Yale class on happiness. That's another amazing one. Yes. Yeah. And I'll link um, that in the show notes. So we can all sign up. Yes. And anything from the Female Founder Collective, I love their Instagram because I think right now um, supporting female founded companies and businesses, um, listening to female led podcasts, all of that is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Where can uh, my listeners find you and follow you? Eve Rodsky at Instagram, Fair Play Life at Instagram. And then for the tools I was talking to you about before, if you wanted to go on to see what it looks like to complete a task from start to finish, that's on fairplaylife.com, the website. Oh my goodness. This was the best chat ever. I feel <laughs> just lighter after talking to you. And I'm sure those who are listening, you know, are making mental notes or actual notes on the tips that you shared, and they're going to implement them right away. You know, it's just, I'm so thankful for you for taking the time out and just helping us live peacefully and purposely. I love that. I love the double P's, peacefully and purposely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a writer, so you're going to love the alliteration. Yes, I love alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. This was awesome. Isn't Eve amazing? She's someone you just want to have as a girlfriend for life, and she says it like it is. And she helps you solve problems rather than wallow in them. That's my kind of girl. Have fun finding out your communication styles with your partner on fairplaylife.com and definitely read her book. It's life-changing and it will strengthen your relationship in a way that's so necessary after you have kids, through quarantine, and long after. Tune into my episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor, and be sure to subscribe so you'd never miss an episode and leave me a review. I love reading your feedback. Follow me on Instagram where I post about all my incredible guests and my handle is Kanika Chada Gupta. Of course, visit my website, that's totalmomsense.com. And please write to me. I love reading your messages and your show topic ideas. It, it just helps me grow as a podcaster. Um, and my email is that's totalmomsense at gmail.com. Remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.